You are listening to Written on Water, a podcast about death, life, and all the layers in between. I believe that by learning how to die well, we learn how to live and love completely. So listen and learn. pleasure of hosting the Reverend Melissa Wilcox of St. John's Episcopal Church in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Melissa and I go way back to college days, and I even was privileged to be present at her ordination. So it's, it's my pleasure to have Melissa on Written on Water today. So welcome, Melissa. Thank you. So I've had a really intense year, as you know, losing my brother to brain cancer, and before that, my parents to a car accident. And I'm grasping to find meaning and sense of it all. You know, I, I admit I'm having trouble with this because um, I've been grieving in the past, I'm grieving now. And, you know, I'm not sure why I'm having so much trouble with sort of, you know, coming to terms with all this. And I'm not sure if it's that as a society, we're isolating ourselves. Is it social media? Is it our addiction to the workplace? I'm not really sure. And I do know that the current state of religion, um, people are, they're getting less spiritual and I'm not sure where they're getting their nourishment from. You know, I, I know I read something that by the year 2030, 30% of Americans are going to claim no religion at all. Mm-hmm. I find that so interesting. So what do you think are the spiritual trends that are happening that you are seeing and, and how are going to be people receive their spirituality and deal with their grieving at end of life? Love to hear your opinion on that. Sure. Well, those are really important questions. And um, there are questions that don't have an easy answer. I know that, um, you know, you had originally asked me just to tell a little bit about how I came to my role. And part of what you just mentioned about your own family resonates a little bit with my experience. Um, I, uh, as you know, I'm a fourth generation Episcopal priest, but I'm the first female in a line of four generations. And I think part of the reason I felt called to the ministry was because of the loss of my father when I was just short of two years old. And I think that that question of suffering, the one that you just raised, you know, where do we find meaning through our suffering is an eternal question. And certainly that's one of the driving forces that brought me into ministry. I can remember as a child playing communion with mini marshmallows and my dolls in my bedroom. And I don't know if that had any direct correlation to sort of my sense of loss at a young age. But I do know that even though I never knew my father, I think I in some ways sort of walked around with a small hole where I felt sensitive to other people's pain and other people's suffering. And, um, and so to answer your question, you know, what is the current state of religiosity and um, how do people perceive God in this day and age, I think is a a really um, challenging one. Um, Like you mentioned, Millennials are the largest generation now to pick none as their religious affiliation. And so we are now seeing in the life of our 
country, particularly the United States, the United States has always been known for religiosity, especially compared to places like France, where, you know, secularism is a much more common thing. So we are seeing a change in terms of um, people who identify certainly as Christians, but even as you mentioned, people who identify with any type of faith affiliation. I wonder about how that will shape us as a community in the sense that parishes and churches and synagogues and mosques um, are all places where people gather and they gather for a common purpose. And that common purpose is usually to worship something other than themselves. And now with that not being the case for everybody, it is harder to find a way to build a sense of relationship outside of people with whom you have just specific interests. Do you think that's the cause is akin to social media? Do you think that society are isolating ourselves? Um, you know, in terms of we we find people on the internet, we talk to people on our phones. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. we go. I've read about you know bishops blogging and sermon live streaming. And yeah. Bibles being read on iPhones. And do you think that sort of separation of face-to-face community is detrimental to, you know, finding spirituality and the community when you're seeking things like grief counseling and support, you know? I think that that certainly contributes. I mean, just like you said, when you're going through pain and suffering, nothing that is um, as strong as hearing the being present with somebody else, being able to touch them, being able to see their face, being able to hold their hand, being able to hand them a Kleenex. Uh-huh. Um, there's nothing that can substitute for that actual presence of somebody else. And I think, you know, you would ask a question about um, in terms of what, you know, as a family member watching someone you love decline is heartbreaking. And what advice do you have for families as they focus in the last moments of a life? And one thing I would say is just what you brought up. We, as Christians, we believe in the incarnation is that was the central moment of our faith when God became human. And in that sense, for us, being present with the sick and the dying is more important than really anything you can offer you know it is important to text people and say i'm thinking of you it is important to call but um that presence that being um the physical representation of love is so important as um, i cared for my brother in the last year i definitely found such varying degrees of that and i tried to sort of come to terms with that because and not judge it you know Mm. It's really hard to do that, um, especially when you're so emotional, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're full yeah. of anxiety and you're just trying to make sense of it. And, um, you know, people have their own ways of reaching out and they have mm-hmm. different versions of spirituality, you know, and, and that can go from anywhere from God to meditation to, I mean, people are into tarot cards and crystals and horoscopes. I mean, everybody's yeah. got such a different version of what keeps them going you know and Mm -hmm. and so I know I agree in the sense that being present with somebody is the best you can offer them when they're going through a tough time yeah Um, and you know even just again like you said a text is great or or a Facebook note but there really is nothing like 
being personal and getting into it. And um, I know that's really hard for people and death is a hard thing. Sickness is yeah. a hard thing. And, and so what do you think as far as approaching those subjects with people, you know, how do you find when you're talking to your parishioners, like, do you give them tactics on how to, how to deal with grief and, and illness of a family member or if they're, they themselves are sick, you know? Yeah. Um, it really depends on the situation. It depends on how I'm invited into the space of a family. Um, some people really want a priest to be present and other people are much more private and don't want that. But when I am invited in, um, one of the things I always tell people is it's really important to stay away from trite banalities. You know, saying something like, oh, well, this is what God um, wants or um, God is testing me or none of those things ring true with the with the Christian message. A God is not there to test us. My understanding, again, getting back to the incarnation is that God is present with us in our suffering. And it is not a matter of, um, you know, who's going to be the strongest and who's going to be able to endure the most suffering and therefore you're going to win a prize at the end. That's just not true. So I try very hard to help frame things so that they ring true to the gospel. And then in the midst of that, remind them of things like, um, you know, just as we talked about before, that being present instead of just having someone say to you, oh, call me if you need something. But rather, um, go ahead and make them a meal and bring it to their door or um, ask the person, how are you doing? And before moving on, you know, be ready for an answer. Be ready to listen. Be ready to sit in silence and see them cry. Um, those are the types of things that help bring God's grace to the moments that are very difficult. Yeah. And I, and I found that the littlest thing to, you know, let me know that somebody was thinking of them. I mean, I, one friend left a little um, pint of cherries from her family's farm with a little note on my doorstep because I don't think mm -hmm. she was ready to really handle, you know, the emotional intensity of all, all that was going on, uh, which I yeah. just thought it was so sweet. I'm like, you know what, that's wonderful. And that's what she can handle. And that's great. But I also found people are like, you know, tell me what to do, you know, and I was just kind of like, I'm not going to tell you what to do because I am dealing with so much right now. I can't even think straight. So yeah. I can't keep you organized as well. So if you want to do something, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> you know, like just bring over dinner. If you want to bring over dinner, come say hi. If you want to come say hi, just and bring anything, you know, it doesn't matter because my head is in a tailspin right now. Mm -hmm. And our lives are so crazy that I cannot organize things for you. You have to just do it. And I, people were a little taken aback when I said that, but I was like, I'm totally being honest with you and upfront because <laughs> things are crazy right now. Uh, but then they got it. They're like, okay, I'm on it, you know. Uh -huh. and, and they started doing wonderful things and being super helpful. And um, But I think being clear with your boundaries is very important when you are someone receiving the support, you know? And again, I think I completely agree what you said about don't, don't try to say, well, things happen for a reason and you know, this is God's plan or anything like that. That's just, that's not fair. 
that's not that's not going to help anybody cope with what's going on. Just sitting and, and understanding that they're suffering um, and being present, I think, is probably the most important thing you can do. I, I totally agree with you, Michelle. And I think, and when those, you know, we see this now on the internet all the time, everything happens for a reason. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Right. That's <laughs> makes no sense so but what you're dealing with and what you're describing is people's um, own fear because they're afraid of what they're seeing and they don't know how to deal with it so as you said they're trying to push it on you and have you make sense of it and you don't need that when you're caring for a loved one no absolutely absolutely and and that's tough and that means that in the end you're going to lose some friends probably because they don't know how to approach things but that's okay because you know, you are going to be left with a very strong community to support you and just know that, you know, that time away from that person, maybe they'll come back again in your life and maybe they won't. But, you know, mm-hmm. you only need people that can handle the situation around you. You don't want to have to manage anybody as someone who's in the middle of the situation. You know? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's kind of tough love in a weird way, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you also deal plenty with like memorial services and funerals. And mm-hmm. I had a, a chat with um, an old friend who's now a funeral director, and she made some very strong points about pre-planning and mm-hmm. deciding what to do. And, and even in, in the greatest of detail um, for your memorial service. And, you know, what do you, what's your opinion on that? Do you, know, do you have people that come to you? Um, I assume when they're very sick, you know, sometimes they're able to. I mean, I know John McCain named his memorial speakers, which I think was amazing because it mm-hmm. made a statement, you know, really. But what do you, what's your opinion on the whole pre-planning of services of uh, end-of-life wishes? It's a great question. We, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about in the Episcopal Church is that all of life is a gift. And one of the final gifts that people can give to their loved ones is their funeral. And so I fully encourage people to plan their funerals. In the Episcopal Church, we have guidelines about about the readings and about the hymnody. But what we do is we sometimes, about once a year, we try to do this with our parishioners. We have a, um, we call it a parish forum, which happens every Sunday after our liturgy, where adults gather to learn. And usually once a year, we get out the funeral planning uh, materials and we walk through them with our parishioners and encourage them to fill them out. Then we keep them in a file and we have them for them so that when they die, it's really clear what they want. One of the challenges we've seen in the last 10 years as clergy is that we see our older people dying. That makes sense. They're in their 70s or 80s. They have lived a life where church has been central to them and yet their kids are often unchurched and so when they die if they have not made their wishes known they end up having a funeral in a sterile funeral home rather than with the beautiful organ in the incense and the hymns that they knew and loved their whole lives and um So we really do encourage that. And then to answer the second part of your question, yes, I have people who say to me, "Um, I want you to officiate at my funeral. And I actually just had that like the other day Um, or the spouses, I want you to be the officiant at at the funeral. And um, I just always encourage them to say, okay, good, write it down, you know, and to honor their wishes. But um, 
planning funerals, um, even picking out, like you said, the funeral home you want to use. Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? Do you, do you want to be in a pine box, which is only $60? Or do you want some really, really expensive coffin that, you know, it's just everybody has different desires, but they're so important to make known because you really can't start the grief process until the funeral takes place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we did that for my brother. We actually took him back to Kent school and it's really important. I think to, if you really want to pay tribute to somebody, you need to ask them and make it clear Otherwise, again, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I mean, who wants to have a service at a cold memorial home um, and have random people speak who you're not even sure if they had a connection to this person? So I think that's super important, you know? Yes. And I think, Michelle, one other thing that I've thought a lot about in the last 10 years as well, or I guess now 15, because I've been ordained almost 17 years. But one thing is that people that's really changed is that, Funerals used to happen pretty soon after somebody died. Now, in the Jewish tradition, I believe they're required to happen within a week. But in the Christian tradition, they are, they're not required to happen that soon. But what I've noticed is a lot of people are really hesitating and they want to make it convenient for all the family and all the friends. But then what happens is the grieving process gets delayed because you can't get grandma and cousin Joe and Mm -hmm. everybody to agree on a date. And then suddenly there's no way for the, say the spouse or the, the child or the sibling to start their own grief process. And what I remind people is death is inconvenient. And so we need to make adjustments in our lives and our schedules because the only thing that is permanent is death. And so we need to treat it that way. And I think in our modern culture, we're so used to be able to cancel plans at the last minute or make plans with 30 seconds going out. And I've really noticed that reflects in how we, we deal with funerals and memorials. And, and it's, you know, as I've said before, it is the one thing that we all have in common that is all <laughs> going to happen to all of us. And, right. And much like a wedding, much like, uh, you know, a birth, these are all events that you don't kind of wait till the last minute to plan. Mm-hmm. You know, a funeral can cost just as much of a, as a wedding sometimes. I mean, depending on how, uh, you know, luxurious they'd like it to be. <laughs> you yeah. can say that word. Um, but that's the thing is, you know, it's, a, it's a big deal. And it's a big moment for people. And to just let it go to the last minute when people are full of angst and grief just doesn't seem right, you know? I, I agree. I, I, as I said, I try to encourage people to do it within a month of the death at right. the latest so that the grieving process can formally begin. Right. And, and actually, that perfectly segues into my question for you. Yeah, I've been asking everybody about their vision of the afterlife. Because you're a spiritual leader, you must think about this all the time. And, <laughs> you know, and you've probably experienced several deaths with parishioners and or family members. You know, what, what do you think happens on the other side? Uh, I think that's the greatest question <laughs> of all uh... <laughs> of all the world. And, you know, and I, and I don't know, I think, you know, um, we have different visions of what that world looks like in the Christian tradition. We believe that 
um, all of life will be restored, that we will be made whole, the things in our lives that have been broken will be healed. Um, as the Apostle Paul said, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. I cannot pretend that I have any understanding of what happens in the afterlife. With the Christian tradition, we believe in the resurrection of the body. And of course, people love to joke, is that my 22-year-old body or is that my body when I die? <laughs> but what we wonder is how do we, you know, when we talk about the resurrection of the body, does that mean each of us individually being restored to a new body or is that a collective body where we'll all be raised together? Don't know the answer. But what I do know is that in the Christian tradition, as we bring a body into the church, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me shall not hunger and shall have eternal life. Right. That is the essence, which is we are fully in the presence of God. We die and that love and that sense of being made whole, but we have no understanding of how that happens. Right. And that can go even to um, non-Christian religions. I think the concept is the same, right? It's basically feeling an absolute love from a spirit. Sure. You know, and sort of a completeness that you may not have felt in your human incarnation. I think that's a great answer. I think that's and it's nice to know that, that there is something maybe better coming to us afterwards, you know, than, than that we can be made whole, in a sense. I mean, I think the challenge, of course, is not to over-spiritualize that in the way that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And that you know, there's the horrible sayings like, well, God needs another angel in heaven. Well, God doesn't need another <laughs> angel in heaven. God is much of anything god is three persons god is completely self-sufficient if, right. if you want to be kind of crass but what, but i do agree with you you know when i'm sitting at the bedside with people and they're they're taking their last last breath and they're in pain this body which brought them joy peace and life is now in need of it it, it can't continue in this way right. and so death is a gift at the end for so many people, especially those who are in chronic and terminal pain. And that was completely the case with my brother. You know, I, I think I've said it in previous episodes that, you know, just sitting there with him and holding his hands as he took his last breaths, I just saw this, this blissful peace come over mm. him. And it was just so serene. And honestly, I felt like he, he looked 20 years younger. Wow having all that sort of pain and worry and angst just escape his body and left totally relaxed. And, you know, it really helped to curb any fear of death that I might have had because I just thought what a serene experience that was, you know, it was, it was beautiful in that way. And so I just, it just makes me think there's gotta be some good stuff on the other side, you know, for, for them to, to leave so serenely and gracefully. I'm really glad to hear that because I know a lot of times people are really anxious, you know, at the last few days or hours, the, the loved ones are often anxious. And sometimes, as you probably know, having had your work with hospice, that sometimes people don't want to die 
with their loved ones nearby because they fear that their loved one will will you know have a hard time but what you described is just the opposite that for you it was a a really a life-giving and grace-filled moment ironically time when the house was full of people that I was close to mm. and so you know he was he was getting all cleaned up this and I was out here with some friends and a couple family members and we were all toasting to him when the home health aide came out and said you better come I think he's going and yeah, and so I feel like he strategically made that happen when there was full support in the house. I don't doubt that for a You know, because I'd been alone so much of the time or maybe with one other person. Uh, all of a sudden he went when it was a full house and I thought, well, isn't that, that's nice of him to, to think of that, you know? Um, I think that that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. totally. And then I have one last question for you. And yeah. Basically, it is, I find, especially in your line of work and, and when you're dealing with such heavy issues, such as end of life and spirituality, you know, what is a piece of advice that you give our listeners that, you know, that really has caught you and that you can share? I knew you were going to ask me this. <laughs> um, being a wise, a wise sage at middle age, um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it's live life to the fullest because everybody, you know, you live each day um, in anticipation of sort of the challenges of a, of a normal day and the joys of a normal day. And even though I think you and I and many other people have lived in the nearer presence of people who have died at very untimely times for us, um, it may not necessarily change our sort of everyday life, but I think it changes our own sense of our mortality. And I would encourage everybody to be like you in the sense of be, be open to talking about your mortality. Um, be open to sharing your mortality with your ones. And if that means funeral arrangements, that could be one piece of it. If that means figuring out power of attorney, that could be another piece of it. If that means making it clear that when you get old, you want to stay in your home and die in your home, make that clear. Um, I just think that being able to talk about our own death is very for for people around us eventually. And it models for our, for our children and for other people in our community um, that we're realistic people uh, living in hope, but also living with the sense that we know, as you said, every, everything, you know, there's, we won't avoid death and we don't won't avoid taxes. So we need to <laughs> talking taxes. About that. yes. Yes. Yeah. That's a good piece of advice. Just be open, be open to it all. I think that's awesome advice. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. And it's so nice to reconnect with you after such a long time. I loved being on your on your podcast, and I think that this is a real calling for you as you uh, continue to, you know, make sense of your life and your struggles and your suffering and how you can ease some of that um, pain for others. I think this is such a great idea and a great cause. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Written on Water. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until soon.
podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.